Five was the first year a Charlie Brown Christmas was shown on TV. And back then it was, uh, it was kind of cool to have a TV in our house. My grandmother had had one for some years. Our, we had just had one for a little while, so the newness hadn't yet worn off. That year, Charles Schultz uh, had, a, uh, had a, an important uh, goal in mind. He was... Uh, thinking about leading the United States of America uh, to an understanding of the real reason for Christmas. Uh, and the highlight of that program, if you all remember, was a very moving scene in which Linus, blanket and all, stands on a spotlight on the stage and explains the true meaning of Christmas. And it included a biblical passage from the second chapter of the book of Luke, verses 8 through 14, reading in the King James Version. Suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Uh, lovely, lovely sentiment, very emotional as we remember it. Nice, but incorrect. The NIV, a modern translation, we read, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Sort of changes the flavor of it a little bit. The ESV, which many of us are using these days, says, And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And there's the key. And the rub with whom he is pleased. That's better. That's a better translation, a better way of reading it. And the reason why is this, from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Turn with me, if you will. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom 
we now have received reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful, Lord, for the words of Linus. We remember them well, Lord, and we remember uh, the, uh, the emotions of Christmas's past as nostalgically we look to the, uh, the tidied up past, Lord. Uh, and we thank you for those memories. But Lord, we thank you also for the correction that we now have a better reason to rejoice in Christmas's past and Christmas's present and Christmas's future. For they're not just about peace descending on an undeserving people, but grace descending on an undeserving people through whom Christ is working to bring about peace in their hearts, which is way better. So Lord, we pray this morning as we look at these passages that you will anoint us with understanding. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah chapter 9 talks about the Prince of Peace. It's a famous passage. I won't rehearse it now. But it's the one where Jesus is, uh, we are introduced into the anointed one's titles. Uh, Wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Prince of peace is what we want to focus on today. The Prince of peace, uh, it's an interesting word. It's the word asar, it's in Hebrew, refers to an, uh, an Assyrian prince. Okay, so in those days, Assyrian princes were the mightiest of princes. They were to be feared and respected. You know, when the Assyrian prince says something, you'd better mind what you're doing uh, and pay attention because he will get you in the end for sure. So the prince of peace in this chapter in Isaiah refers to one who has absolute authority over peace. He's the one who... Who, uh, who sovereignly controls the disposition of peace. So when we read about the Prince of Peace being the Anointed One, we are referred to the idea that the rule of the Anointed One, or the Messiah, or the Christ, will be eternal and marked by authority dispensed in peace. And that should be good news to God's people. That means that the anointed one's government, the dominion, his rule, will be an authority and power that that will go on forever with justice and righteousness and will be everlasting. So Paul, in this passage in Romans, refers to that very peace that we enjoy. He refers to the benefit of Christ's dominion. And here's where the the language is very helpful as we look briefly at that. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the word here is erene. It means peace or a state of concord, a peace of harmony, a peace and harmony or harmony in a personal relationship. Now it's important to grasp that idea because the the Greek word reflects the Hebrew concept, right? So the the Hebrew word that most Hebrews would think about, they would categorize Arani in a Hebrew sense, right? And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. We're all familiar with that. 
It's a greeting in Israel. It just doesn't mean peace, like how uh, Tonto greets the Lone Ranger, meaning don't stab me in the face. Peace here is a wish for contentment and blessing that can only come through a right relationship with the Creator God. And that's how the Hebrews understood shalom. It is a rectified relationship. It's a relationship that is the way it ought to be, without the interruption of sin. So it's a relationship that needs to be rectified or restored. So when you wish peace on someone, that's what you're wishing. You're wishing that their relationship, starting with God, is mended. And as a consequence of that mending, so too the relationship that you have with the rest of the world. So this word, shalom, means peace, safety, prosperity, well-being, intactness, wholeness. This can have a a security sort of focus. It can also have a safety sort of focus. Feelings of satisfaction, well-being, contentment. I mean, all these things are held within that concept of shalom. Now we can explain, we can have an understanding of how it got that way if we look at the root word. What the root word began meaning to these people. And consequently, because it had that meaning, it extends to all these other things, peace and prosperity and contentment. It's the idea that the root, the, 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 the nugget concept is one that will lead to these other things, right? And that's an important distinction in this Hebrew language. So the general meaning of that root word means completion and fulfillment. It's a state of wholeness and unity and of restored relationship. So the original word meant, more than anything else, restored relationship. Okay, so when Jesus is talked about as bringing peace, he's bringing restored relationship. And now that's an essential understanding for what this, this whole thing about Christmas means and about his coming in the form of a human being and his growing in perfection and his dying on a cross and being raised from the dead and mending the relationship between us and our creator God so that we may enjoy that relationship and function as we ought to have done from the beginning except for sin. And now that that relationship is restored, we can enjoy true peace which is the benefit of that relationship, an important meaning. That's why Lioness is a little off mark when he reads that passage. It's not just goodwill and peace to men on earth, it's peace to those on whom God's favor rests. How do we get God's favor? Can only be through Jesus Christ, right? And once we have that, then we receive the benefit of that relationship with God. So Jesus is responsible for bringing us peace. That's why he's the prince of peace. The authority, you know, the muscle behind peace. How do we get peace if we don't have uh, God's blessing? Well, we can't. It will ever evade us. That's why Christmas, you know, is, is, is such a hot and cold kind of a holiday because our, our expectations grow, right? We look forward to joy and contentment. 
Except very often, you know, a, a Lionel train set doesn't do the trick. Yeah, it's nice to get it, but now that I got it, it's kind of different now. I was hoping that I would get it, and that hope sort of buoyed me up. It emotionally lifted me, but now that I have it, it's, it's kind of disappointing. You know, you've got to plug it into the wall, and if the connections aren't just right, it won't run, and the little smoke pills, those don't work, and I, you know, my, my little brother ate one, and now I have to go to the hospital. And, you know, it goes, it goes on and on. The expectation is more than the reality, and that is so disappointing. In Christ, the expectation doesn't measure up to the glory of the reality, right? So we are always, we are always pulled along by that. We are always buoyed by that. We are always satisfied, and our minds are always blown by it. So Christmas with Jesus and the Prince of Peace is way better than any other kind of peace that we may have an expectation about. Right? And that's why the angels, when they showed up to those, those, uh, those uh, uh, shepherds, said, here is a message of great joy for all people. Great joy for all people. The Prince of Peace was coming. So, the reasons for the peace that was promised, and which we now enjoy, comes from our justification. Our justification through faith. That is to say, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God grants sinners a judicial pardon, which is received solely through faith. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he died for our sins so that the relationship that we have with God may be reconciled, right? that may be repaired, that will be healed, that will be made whole, that will lead to our ultimate contentment. If we believe that, then we're saved. We are justified. Right? So what God does is he determines that because we believe in him, that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross will be sufficient to pay for our sins. And that's a decision that he makes. He doesn't have to make it, right? It is grace. There's nothing that we do to deserve it. It is mercy. God says, this is what I've decided to do. I'm going to free you from sin if you believe that Jesus died for your sins. We say, that sounds like a good deal. I'm going to take it. Now you're justified. In that case... Right? Through Christ we have gained access by faith into God's grace in which we now stand. So Jesus ushers believers now, these newly justified, judicially freed from sin, these believers into their new state of grace and acceptance by God. What that means is now that you, your sins are paid for, now that you are perfect in, in a sinless state, if you will, you have access to God. You may come into his presence, not with fear, but with thanksgiving and great joy. And what do you get for that? Well, you get all the benefits of the presence of God, right? You get all those benefits. And the first benefit is his Holy Spirit. He gives you his Holy Spirit and we are filled with his Holy Spirit. And it's a down payment. It's a, in a sense, it's a taste of what we're going to get in eternity for what Jesus has done. You know, enemies of God can't be with him forever in heaven. It doesn't work out. 
If you hate God and don't desire to have anything to do with him, then God says, okay, I'm not going to make you. But here's the deal. If you don't love me, if you don't care for me and do what I ask you to do, then you're going to be out of fellowship with me. And you're the loser in that. Right? So Jesus is brought to earth. And he dies for our sins. And he presents the argument. You know, if you believe in me, then what is past will be past forever. And your sins will be forgiven and you can come and enjoy my company. Not just now. You'll get a taste of it now, but forever. In its fullness. Jesus, when he was praying that great priestly prayer, he said, Lord, I want the ones that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my true glory. And right now, being a, a sinner, you can't do that. But having your sins forgiven, being filled with the Holy Spirit, you can look forward to that. To see Jesus as he really, really is. Glorious, wonderful. And we get to sit up front with him, too. We get to sit up front. You ever, you ever go to a dinner, you know, and you, and you, and you walk in and, and, and people want to see your ID and where's your ticket? And, and they say, all right, well, we'll let you in. Uh, and they sit you in the way back by the drafty kitchen door, you know. So you get the smell, you get bumped into, and there's a cold draft every time the door opens, you know. It's not going to be like that. When you walk in, it's going to be, ah, Brother Floyd, welcome. We've been waiting for you. Come on in, man. Sit up here in front and enjoy this fellowship. And scripture has a way of, of, of talking about it as a glorious wedding feast. So this is an extended time of being together and just celebrating what's going on. And that's how it will be. There'll be a celebration. You know, in ancient times it would last seven days. When we are in heaven with God, it will last forever. A celebration of God and his people living together. And that is peace. You know, That is the ideal picture of peace. Where God's people can live with God forever in joy and wonder. That is peace. So we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Christ we have gained access by faith into God's grace in which we now stand. Isaiah has another great way of talking about this. He talks about Israel in the sense of being forsaken and desolate. Isaiah 62, verses 4 and 5. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no longer be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isaiah 62. So the anointed one here will achieve a transformation like the change from lonely desolation to happy marriage. Lonely desperation or desolation to happy marriage. It's the result of the work of the suffering servant. The emptied city, the wasted land, becomes the object of delight and devotion and joy. 
So God gives them a new name, Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her, and Beulah, married. They are explained in the two halves of verse 5 here, respectively the wedding and the honeymoon. What a beautiful thing, the wedding and the honeymoon. So Zion's sons take their marriage vow to their bride to love and to cherish, to give themselves in devoted service to the welfare of Zion. And the Lord goes on honeymoon with his people, rejoicing over them. With such economy of words and beauty of imagery, Isaiah depicts the loving unity that characterizes Zion with her intimate union with the Lord, which Revelation 19.7 foresees as the marriage of the Lamb. And as a result, we enjoy peace. We boast now in the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are assured that on judgment day, our justification will stand. And instead of saying, get out of my sight, the Lord God Almighty will whisper our name. Hezebah. You are my delight. And now he, we will rejoice in our sufferings. Because of that hope that we have, not even our sufferings can make a dent on it because we know what our end will be. Our end will be our future, our extended future, our eternal life with God in heaven. Because of the peace of Jesus, we know that the hard things we endure are for our improvement not our demise. Right? And a common thing back in the old days was when things weren't going your way, it was because you did something wrong. You know, you deserve it. It's that karma thing, you know. But in Christ, you see, the hard things can't be for that. It's impossible. How could God delight in us and then punish us corporally? Right? By bringing judgment upon our heads. It won't happen. So it can't be that. It must be something else. And God reveals it to us. What the thing is, is he desires to perfect us. To work out all the little kinks in our lives and in our character. And he does that because he loves us. Like a loving father in heaven. Now if you've never had a loving father in, in life on planet earth, then know this. You have one now. And he will bless you and give you all the things that you need in order to make you more and more and more like his vision for you, right? which is perfect, which is healed, which is whole, which is a delight to him, which is married to him forever and ever. So we boast in the Lord, we rejoice in our sufferings. In fact, the eternal dominion of the one promised and now come, we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope never shames us. You know how hope would be shamed if it didn't turn out to be true? You know, we hope and hope and hope, and we get there, and it's all fake. That would be shaming, you know? It's like when I wanted so bad to be a Captain Video Ranger, you know, and, and I went and I met Captain Video and he was totally cool, awesome and excellent like a commander should be, you know. 
But then I went and I, to meet the to ranger, and I was so disappointed because I, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, like identify with Captain Video. I mean, he was totally awesome and excellent and out of my pay rate, my pay grade. But the ranger, he was like one of me. And when I came up to the ranger and put out my little hand to shake, ranger to ranger, you know, he blew me off. Man, what a disappointment. So the, the, the promise of being a ranger was sort of crushed by a real ranger, you know, very disappointing. And it was shameful, you know. How could I put my trust, my hope in this silly TV program? Well, with a little kid, it's kind of crushing. But not so with this. You put your trust in Jesus, in his promises, in who he is, and he will not disappoint. In fact, he will blow your mind in the reality of it. Absolutely. I trust in that. Absolutely. He will blow my mind. Remember what the scripture says, beyond our imagination, more than we think, right? He will blow our minds, that's for sure. So we will not be put to shame by the reality of God's promises. His indwelling presence is the pledge for that glory. So we know we have the down payment present with us even now, showing us, demonstrating us, opening our eyes and ears, leading us, and, and to a, a very real degree, loving us for all he is worth. And we know that we are his. The love which is the Spirit's primary fruit has its origin in God and is reproduced in the children of God. And we know that is going on in our lives, even as we speak. God's loving kindness, his chesed, for which we have already received a down payment, is exemplified by three things. Right? So while we were completely helpless and without hope, when we were forsaken and desolate, God sent Jesus to save us. And Christ died for us. And while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, while we still hated God and wanted nothing to do with them, right? when we deserved judgment, when we were truly desolate of all hope, we were saved through Christ. And that is an example of God's very great love for us, which continues to affect us, which is the, the true the true definition of peace, if you will, biblical peace that is being talked about in these passages. Reconciliation with the Father. We were unable to do, the, to do what needed to be done, so God did it for us. And he hauls us into his peace and blesses us abundantly with his presence all the time. You know, I'm a, kind of a history buff. I love to read about stuff, and so reading about World War I, for instance... You know, why didn't, uh, why didn't peace continue on? Why, after World War I, did it evolve into World War II? You know, it was supposed to be the war that ended all wars. Well, at the end of the war, there wasn't peace. There wasn't reconciliation. I mean, there are lots of other reasons for it. But the, the glaring one is at the end of World War I, there was vengeance and not reconciliation. You know, the Allies put the hammer on Germany and Austria, and they made life worse and worse for them. 
And so the, the result of the peace was, was misfunction, dysfunction, right? There, there was no peace. There was no planting of, of love between former enemies. There was only additional hatred and resentment. No wonder it blew up in everyone's faces, literally, but not with God. Therefore, because of all the above, and since we have been justified by his blood, right, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God? Because God has already reached to, out to us in Jesus Christ. While we, were, while we were without hope and desolate, right, God reached out to us in Jesus Christ. If he's doing that, then how much more will he enliven us and sanctify us for his purposes and welcome us to be home with him forever and ever? And since we were still enemies, we were reconciled by his death. Still enemies of God, resentful of his rule and hating him, as Paul says. God haters everyone. If he was able to reconcile God haters to himself, through Jesus Christ. How much more are we reconciled and shall we be saved by his life? Jesus, through his death, saved us and reconciled us. How much more, now that he is alive and ruling over us, right, will he be able to sustain us in life forever? And more than that, we rejoice now because Jesus brought us peace through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection and his life in glory forever. So it just keeps getting better. This peace, which starts out as simple rec uh, reconciliation, grows into glorious life, right? And true contentment for God's people. How much more may we, in the reconciliation or peace that Jesus brought, now that through him we have received God's approval as his beloved children, how much more may we glory in that? Well, sky's the limit on that one. We will glory to our heart's content. It will be satisfaction like we have never known, contentment like we have never known, not complacency, because this will be an energizing indwelling of God's Holy Spirit for all of us for eternity. It's no wonder that the angels, when they said to the to the shepherds meant what they were saying. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. From Isaiah 9, 6. And the dominion shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his dominion and of peace, there will be no end. His rule and the relationship that we will have with him will be endless. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And what will guarantee this? Well, it's the intent, the character the power, the zeal of the Lord God Almighty to bring about his will in us and in his creation. That's what will do it. He who's promised, who has started, will bring this to completion. 
So glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Is God pleased with you? Then he has his peace waiting for you. Shalom. Let us pray.